0: Hey, What Not the Podcast and Lent Up Early, it's Pastor Wolfmuller. Today is the first Sunday in Lent, March the 6th, year of our Lord, 2022. And I was not up well, I was up early-ish, but had a lot of stuff going on today. So I was just going to skip the Lent Up Early podcast until I remembered the complaint of a Mr. Kerry Best, who was complaining that uh, the Sunday drive home had not made it to the podcast lately. I hadn't even been recording it lately. Just been with Carrie on Sunday afternoon driving around, so haven't been recording. But anyway, recorded one today and remembered that Carrie was complaining about it. Now, I don't I don't normally... In fact, I stopped putting the Sunday drive home on the podcast just because the driving noise in the background I didn't think was good uh, for the podcast. But for the sake of my friend, Mr. Best, we're going to put it on here today. So here's the lint Up Early What Not the Podcast episode for... March the 6th, 2022. We call it The Temptable Christ and the Sunday Drive Home. Hey, YouTube theologians. It's been a little while. Sunday Drive Home. Pastor Wolfmuller here on Invocavit. At least that's what the old Latin used to call today. The first Sunday in Lent, the Sunday of the Temptation of Jesus where Jesus is driven, he's baptized and driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for the purpose of being raked over the coals by the devil for 40 foodless days and nights. All that for you. Jesus was not on some sort of discovery of like some sort of vision quest. He was not trying to find himself or anything. He, he didn't need any of that. He was there in the sticks for you and me. I was thinking about this, wondering today, if it rained, we had the picnic, and uh, and it looked like there's some rain clouds over. And I was thinking, I wonder if it rained on Jesus during the forty days and forty nights in the wilderness. And he just would sit there, and and the rain would just fall on him, and he would feel this pressure. Of the devil. You know, the Lord tells us in like First Corinthians, this is one of these texts where we don't, it's a wonderful text, we don't quite know what to do with it, where he says that no temptation is overtaking you that's not common to everyone, and whenever you're tempted, the Lord will provide a way out. Which means at least that the Lord throttles our temptation. The Lord limits the amount of temptation that can come to us from the devil and the world and the flesh. But not when Jesus was in the wilderness. He That pressure to sin was complete. I don't think it's, it's in uh, the temptation of Jesus is in Mark and Matthew and Luke. I, I don't think Matthew mentions this, but I think Mark and Luke both mention how Jesus was tempted in every way. In Luke it finishes, it says, "...and when the devil had finished every temptation." And Hebrews confirms this. It says that he was tempted in every way like we are, and yet without sin. Now, one of the theological problems, I read uh, Francis Pieper, Volume 2, from the pulpit today, by the way, referenced the sermon. Uh, Talk about theological nerdiness. But one of the things that comes up in the theological conversation, and this is a normal thing, is that the impeccability of Christ, which is his sinlessness and his lack of ability to sin, is set against the temptation. It it goes like this, well, if Jesus couldn't have sinned, then he couldn't really be tempted. Really? Pieper says not only is that not true of Jesus, it's just not true at all, because the the pressure to sin, think about it this way the pressure to sin which is what we call temptation comes upon us in a in a limited way from the world and the flesh and it finds an wait from the world and the devil and it finds an ally in our sinful flesh so that the wicked things that the world wants us to do and the wicked things that the devil wants us to do we also happen to want to do and so we feel that, that desire to sin that cooperates with the world and the devil and, and we, that's our experience of temptation. But temptation can just be from the world and the flesh. So it comes to us in a limited way and also it comes to an end. Either the Lord rescues us from it or we fall, we fail to, to um, resist temptation. And then it's over, the temptation is over. So our temptations come to an end, but Jesus' temptation, they don't come to an end. I mean, they do after 40 days, but but they just keep coming. And this, and I think this is something for us to meditate on, there's a mystery here that I don't know quite how to get after, but it says that Jesus was tempted in every way, which means that every temptation of every person Jesus experienced and to the fullness. So one of the things that we do we sinners, I'll speak to why I do this, you might not do it but you probably do too, is that we judge people according to their temptations. We look at people who are tempted to stuff that we would never be tempted to and we think, what a weirdo or whatever. We, we, are, we judge people according to the shape of their temptations. And this can happen with the sixth commandment. You should not commit adultery or, I suppose, with any of the commandments. Whatever some, whenever you find someone who's tempted to something that you are not tempted to and that you don't understand, it, you, you judge them. But here, to look at Jesus and to know that Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, so that every t- single temptation experienced by every single person, even those temptations which I don't understand and can't even comprehend, Jesus was tempted in that way. Oh. Which is why he's able to be sympathetic. That's the point that Hebrews makes. That he's, we do not have a high priest that, or how does it say? We have a high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way like we are, and yet he was without sin. So that whatever that temptation is, who knows? What kind of weird temptations our flesh is drawn towards? Whatever it is, Jesus knows it. Now that it doesn't excuse it, of course it doesn't excuse it. I mean, that's kind of the baseline of, well, it's the baseline of right and wrong, the baseline of ethics, the baseline of the Ten Commandments, or the fact of the law, and that is that the you just because you can understand the temptation doesn't mean that you excuse it. But it does mean that Jesus is there fighting with you in the midst of it. He's not like, well, I'm going to help these people who have normal temptations, but you've got some weird ones over there, so I'm not going to help you. No, that's not Jesus. That's not your Jesus. It's not my Jesus. He was tempted in every way like we are. Now, people say, how could Jesus be tempted if he couldn't sin? I think it makes it even worse. And, and so here's the illustration, I, I don't know if this is a good one. If you th- can think of something better than this, this is, but you know how it is if like someone gives you like a can of soup or a two pound weight or a, a paper weight and they say, hold out your hand, straight out and hold up this weight. No problem. For, for one minute, for two minutes, but then it starts to get heavy, what is that? Do you guys see that in the back window? That's a mini white car with a Minecraft pink pig box built over it, stalled out on the side of the road. (laughs) I don't know. So like I was saying, some people are tempted to some very strange things. I don't know That's a perfect illustration. What was I even talking about? Oh, that's funny. Temptation of Jesus, tempted in every way like we are. I really did lose my train of thought that he doesn't despise us even on the strangeness of our own temptations. That doesn't mean he excuses us, but he fights with us in the midst of it. Anyway, I can't remember. Now, the temptation of Jesus gives us wisdom and—oh, oh, oh, that's right. The theological point. How can Jesus be tempted? Oh, and holding out the arm. Ah, that's right. Holding out the arm. So you're holding it out there, and then it starts to get heavy, and it gets heavier and heavier, and your arm gets weaker and weaker until finally you can't hold it up either. Either someone has to take the weight away, or prop up your arm, or it's gonna drop, you just can't hold it up anymore. Our willpower to resist the devil's temptation is probably the same way. It, just, it comes to us and either it has to be taken away or supported by the Lord's word, or, or else it collapses, we can't hold up. And, But not Jesus. He, he could hold the weight, but that doesn't mean he didn't feel the pain of it. And the longer he held it, the worse the pain got. So that Jesus experienced every temptation to the end. As much temptation as hunger could give you, Jesus felt it. As much temptation as thirst can give you, Jesus felt it. As much temptation that anger can give you, Jesus felt it. As much temptation as lust can bring, Jesus felt it. As much temptation as greed could bring, Jesus felt it. The full weight of the sinful force of the world and the devil were brought against Jesus. He didn't have a sinful flesh, so there was no ally. The devil found no ally inside of him like the devil finds in you and I a friend of temptation, what we call concupiscence, our own desire to do sinful things, so that the devil comes along and says, I I think you should do that sinful thing, and we said, well, I was thinking the same thing, which makes temptation less painful. It's the temptation resisted that hurts the most, and Jesus resisted them all. So here's Jesus in the rain. I don't know if it rained or not, but this is the picture. Just crushed sort of in the in the agony of this temptation there's a famous painting of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness and he just looks sick he's sitting on a rock and his the color is out of his face it it's it it reminds you of some of the paintings of the Passion where Jesus looks so devastated almost kind of emptied out, sick because of the affliction that he's suffering. And that is there in the temptation. So Jesus was not in the temptation like... He was not in the temptation like Mike Tyson was in the ring, you know. Punched to the face. Jesus was handed over to this temptation in its fullness and he stands he stands he resists the devil he is tempted in every way like we are unimaginable and yet without sin Wah. and and even this you know Jesus refuses to use his divine nature to resist the devil he could have just you know, like he did when other people had demons tempting and afflicting them, he just said to the demon, "Hey, out of here, buddy," and zip off they would go. The devil, uh, Jesus could have said to the devil, "Hey, I'm done. See ya. Adios. Arriva. De, how do you say that? Arriva la Does not. He sits there and he takes him forty days, no food. He's hungry beaten down. This is just a brutal moment for Jesus. In fact, the first temptation, which is to turn the rock into bread, kind of puts that to the test because Jesus could turn the rock into bread, no problem. I think, have we talked about this here on the old Sunday drive home that when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000 he's kind of saying to the devil look I can do this you know I I can feed people in the wilderness but I'm not here to use my divine nature to serve myself can you imagine that? This is, this is maybe the fundamental theological point that we get so hung up on, even like with the ph- philosophical arguments about the problem of evil, is we just assume that the divine nature must serve itself or himself, however you want to say that thing. That God is, that God is in it for his own glory. After all, he's God. That's what God should do, but Jesus says, I will not use my divine nature to serve myself. I'll feed 5,000 people in the wilderness with five loaves of bread, but I will not turn that rock into a pizza for myself. I will not worship the devil to get all the authority, even if I could do good with it. I will not test the Lord by jumping off of the tower. I won't do it. I'm not, Jesus is not here to serve himself. He's here to serve us. The Son of Man came. You, You wouldn't believe this unless it was written down. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And that's what he was doing in the wilderness. He was serving us. He was there for us. He was there standing where Adam and Eve fell and where you fell and where I fell. So that he doesn't even use his divine nature to resist the devil, but rather the word of God. There's like one page in Deuteronomy Jesus is like, here the devil bring uh, the the whole world of temptation and trouble. You bring it against me, and I'm going to block it all with a page that I tore out of Deuteronomy. He quotes Deuteronomy 8, 10, 6. (laughs) One page. (laughs) One little word can fell him. I mean it's a pretty good page in Deuteronomy, granted, had some pretty good verses on it. That's all Jesus needs so that he uses the word of God to resist the devil. Now in a way that kind of puts the pressure on you and me because because we could say, well Jesus, you resisted the devil for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness because you after all are Jesus and I'm not. That's an understatement. You've got divine power and I don't. But Jesus says, I have the word and that's enough. (laughs) That should, it puts us to shame when we look back, but it should give us hope looking forward. Because the devil keeps coming. The devil tempts Jesus to doubt Hmm, the devil tempts Jesus to doubt the promise God gave in his baptism. Have you noticed this? I think in Matthew it's all three temptations. In Luke it's the first and the last. The devil prefaces the temptation in this way, If you are the Son of God. Now where have we heard those words? In the very previous passage where Jesus was baptized and the heavens opened up and God the Father gives his first of three sermons in the whole New Testament. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So God the Father says to Jesus, you are my son in his baptism. And then the devil comes along and says, if you are the son of God. The devil loves oh, he loves to put an if in front of the word of God. He loves to turn exclamation points into question marks. Just punch them and put a little bend in them. A little twisty. And the devil loves to come after the promise of baptism. I heard somebody say one time, who said this? Maybe I said it. Is that really bad if I, if I quote myself as someone said one time? That's slightly better than, as I always used to say. (laughs) Just say it, Pastor. (sighs) I don't know, I think someone else probably said it. That the devil is always tempting us to doubt our baptism. That's basically every temptation. God says, you're my child. You belong to me. I love you. Your sins are forgiven. You're rescued from sin, death, and the devil. All that I have is yours. The Lord says all that to us in our baptism. And then the devil comes along and says, no, no. no. You shouldn't believe like you're a child of God. You shouldn't act like you're a child of God. You shouldn't hope like you're a child of God. You shouldn't love like you're a child of God. You should love yourself or who knows, whatever. Tertullian, remember him? He was church father, kind of went off the rails. He wrote on baptism, which is not that good. Uh, may, maybe it's better than I remember. I remember reading Tertullian on baptism and thinking, mm-hmm. if you've read Tertullian on baptism and you loved it, please comment below and rebuke me. I'm wide open for that rebuke. But he does say something nice at the beginning of that little thing. He says... He says that we, uh, we little fish, follow our big fish, Christ. That's at play on that ichthos. That's the Greek word for ichthos, and 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 that was the early Christian idea: uh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. That's the the, the five letters in the word ichthos. And he says we're little ichthoi and we follow our big ichthus christ. And then Tertullian says that the devil knows how to destroy the little fish. He takes them out of the water. So that the way the devil is getting after us is by trying to splash us out of the water of our baptism. So with Jesus, if you are the Son of God, then you should do this or that or this or that. He's trying to destroy Jesus' confidence in the promise of his baptism. Here's an emergency, I'll be back in just a minute. If we're in the water, we're safe. If we're, if we're saturated in the promises of our baptisms and the confidence of our calling, we're safe. That, by the way, is the whole business with Psalm 91. I started this Lent Up Early thing. I don't know if you guys noticed. I got the What Not the Podcast, which I hardly ever do. That was the podcast where I'm trying to answer your questions. And I decided that for Lent, I would try to answer a question a day, wake up early, and until this men's retreat this weekend, I was doing pretty good. But don't worry, back on the wagon tomorrow. I mean, I have every day but Sunday. I I think it's all right to take Sunday off. Answering your questions and reflecting on the scriptures, and we were talking about Psalm 91 a little bit because Psalm 91 is the psalm that the devil quotes to Jesus on the top of the pentacle in Jerusalem. Do you wonder what the people were looking down like? What are those two things doing up there? What is that devilly looking thing together with Jesus? That guy looks hungry. And the devil quotes Psalm 91, and you think, well, how can Jesus get out of that one, right? But the devil doesn't quote Psalm 91. He misquotes Psalm 91 by leaving out a key phrase that is, the phrase is, in all your ways. He will send your angels to protect you in all your ways so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. The devil leaves that out. That all your ways is, as far as I can tell, and this is teeing off of Luther who I think picked it up from some earlier fathers, says that in all your ways that's talking about God's calling, God's ordering. It's it's not saying that the angels will protect you if you do whatever you want. That's not the idea. It's that the angels protect you as you go about the work that God has appointed for you. That's the point. So the devil misquotes Psalm 91, and I think the reason the devil is so interested in Psalm 91 is because it it is a, it, it talks about the, it's, it's basically an echo of Genesis 3.15. Remember, I'll put enmity between you, devil, and the woman, and your seed and her seed. He'll crush your head, you'll crush his heel. And I think the devil must be very obsessed with the feet of the Messiah. So anytime those feet show up in any promises, he's gonna be paying attention. So there in Psalm 91, verse 12 or 13, it says, he will trample his, you will not dash your foot against the stone, you'll trample on the 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 lion and the serpent. You gotta know that the devil was probably having a lot of Bible studies about that particular verse. Because those feet, those feet are his arch enemy. Those feet are coming from heaven to stomp on his head. So the devil's paying a lot of attention to Psalm 91. (laughs) <laughs> and so when Jesus here, hey, why don't you, why don't you take this psalm? It'll be nice. Those precious feet of yours, the the angel won't let them dash against the stone. Why don't you just jump off the thing? <laughs> so we know that the Lord will protect us not just when we do whatever stupid thing we want to do, but whenever we whenever we're working according to the calling of God. But when we do that, we have this promised protection. Now, that doesn't mean that, like, we'll never die as long as we're doing our duty or something like that. No, death comes to all of us, but we have the promise of angelic protection so that we can be bold in our callings. The Christian is free to be bold, free to suffer free to try, free to love, even if it hurts. We know it hurts. And we carry all the Lord's promises with us in this, in this venture, adventure? Venture and adventure of love. We carry along the Lord's promises with us. How beautiful is that? But the devil couldn't trick Jesus. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, this question came up in Sunday school this morning, which was how do we know when the devil is misusing the Word of God? And I think the easy rule of thumb, there's a this is, can be much more complicated, but the easy rule of thumb is this. You know them by their fruits. So what is the fruit of the teaching? We know that the fruit, the right fruit that the Lord's word produces is contrition and faith and love. Is it pushing me to sorrow over my sin and to despise my sin? Is it pushing me to trust in Christ and the forgiveness of all of my sins and that confidence that we have in Jesus? And is it pushing me to love my neighbor and serve him according to God's Word? Then that's the Holy Spirit doing the work of the Word. But is it tempting me to sin? That's not the Holy Spirit. Is it tempting me to despair over God's mercy? That's not the Holy Spirit. Is it tempting me to pride in myself or my efforts or my whatever's? And that's not the Holy Spirit. And so, if someone is bringing you the word, or something is bringing you the word, and tempting you to any of those three things, then we know that the devil is misusing the word. That's our rule of thumb. Now, one last thing, and this maybe should be the first thing, but we know that um, that while the You know, a lot of times the temptation of Jesus is used, and this is right to use it this way, by the way. Jesus is there as our example. He's resisting the devil and showing us how, that we also memorize the Lord's Word, that we carry the Lord's Word with us, that we can see the temptation coming. And, And Luther has this advice. We were looking at this in the Worldwide Bible Study. If you're not in the Worldwide Bible Study, shame, shame. Come and join us. It's great. Okay, it's no shame, but you should come and join us. It's great. Uh, because, well, everyone in that Bible study is like, hey, uh, I've been Lutheran for you know, 40 minutes or 50 years or whatever, and I've never actually read Luther. In fact, in fact, I was at a retreat this week, and uh, the, the person was talking about some of the most influential books that they had read, and, uh, and one of them was Roland Baden's the Here I Stand, The History of Martin Luther. And this is, I think, a perennial problem. I mean, it's fine to read biographies of Luther, but how many biographies of Luther are there? And so many people have read about Luther, but they've never read what he actually said. Who cares about Luther? Who cares how mean his dad was? Who cares if he how high his voice was? And who? It's the. Uh, you know who doesn't care about Luther? I'll tell you, Luther. This is what he would say. It's like. He, you know, whenever Luther talks about himself, he almost always is talking about like a maggot bag. <laughs> That's his like favorite thing. Who cares? But it's what he said that brings us the, that brings us Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. That's what matters. I, you could, if you ask me. Well, now I'm on a tangent, and I even forgot what I was talking about. But you ask me if I could give you a sermon of Luther or a biography of Luther, it's not even a question. Give me the words that the man said about Jesus. That's what helps. Anyway, the, the history is probably fine. It's not bad to know the history, but the only reason the history is helpful is because it helps you to read the words that he said. Goodness. So people are in worldwide Bible study there. you got to and they're like, I've never read Luther. So that's what we're doing. We're looking at Jacob, the life of Jacob, next to, and Luther's teaching us, and we're looking at the, at the instructions of Luther. It's pretty cool. So Luther must have been saying something about the temptation of Jesus, temptation coming to us, love, uh, for all his ways, and uh, I can't remember what I was talking about. Do I have to, am I going to have to stop the video and go, how, all right, I'll do it. Okay, I got it. Luther has advice for what to do when we're tempted. That's what we we're talking about. And he said especially, he's talking about Isaac and his 20 years of chastity, 40 years of chastity before he got married, and, uh, and the temptations that come along with the life of chastity. And he says, when you feel the temptation come on, uh, coming on, you read the word. You go to the word. You got to have the written word and you got to have it outside of you and you got to read it out loud. And the word comes in like a, you know, like the fire truck extinguishing the 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 fires of passion and so forth and then when the when the trouble has subsided then you then you turn to prayer so the word the word the word to suppress temptation and then desire so we so we read the temptation of jesus as an example but that is not if we just get the temptation of jesus as an example then we have missed the point because Jesus is not only showing us how to resist the devil, he's doing it for us. He's in our place. He is standing where Adam and Eve fell. Remember Milton, to John Milton, we preached about this a little today, who had this great paradise lost, but then this little, well it's smaller, but I think it's even better, paradise regained about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Here's Adam and Eve in the garden, this lush garden with all this food, and the devil comes and says, eat this, and they said, okay. <laughs> and here's Jesus under this extreme pressure In the wilderness with nothing. And he stands. He, conquers the devil. And in fact, the reason why the Word of God is able to resist the devil, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and 8, 6, 10, and 8, or whatever those verses are, the reason why those have power to repel the devil is because Jesus, dead and raised, inspired those words. I mean, he wasn't yet dead and raised, but he would be, and that's where the strength of the Word of God comes from, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus, the Word incarnate, overcomes the devil, then Jesus gives us the scriptures which help us overcome the devil (laughs) in fact that's the power right revelation 12 they overcame him the devil this is us you me overcome the devil with the word of the testimony and the blood of the lamb and we don't love our lives unto death fantastic So that we stand against the devil in Christ. We stand against the threat of God's judgment and wrath in Christ. We stand in Christ. And he stands. That is good news. God be praised. Sunday drive home. Every day, by the way, in Lent, I'm trying, I mentioned this earlier, you got the Lent Up Early podcast, which you can find at What Not the Podcast. If you go to the website, wolfmuller.co, wolfmuller.co, there's a audio tab, and you click on that audio, and you can go down to, I think it says What Not the Podcast, and you can subscribe to that dealio there. And then, uh, you can see, you can see how, if I give up, maybe like a little bet that you can have with your friends. How many days in a row can Pastor Mueller do what not the podcast? Four? Six? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go much more than seven, actually. But if you're interested in that, that's there for you. Hey, God's peace be with you. One more thing against this. Who cares about Luther? Uh, here's a rule. For every biography of Luther that you have, you should have a book by Luther. That's the rule. I just invented it. Invented. Invented. I just invented that rule. So, there you go.